Hello there, I'm coach Will Love and you're listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. We're fortunate to have Andy Jones on the podcast. Jones is the head coach at Timberline High School in Boise. The Timberline girls just beat rival Boise High to claim their first 5A basketball title since 2003. It's the seventh title for Jones, though, who's now just two titles away behind uh, two titles behind the legendary Emery Roy for the most titles in the state of Idaho. Coach Jones, thanks for talking basketball with us today. How's everything in Southeast Boise? Well, it's colder. I, I'm <laughs> guessing that's probably colder there, but uh, it's supposed to be pretty chilly this week. So yeah. one more blast of winter. All right. Yeah. Yeah, we've actually uh, been at that point where it's almost too cold to go to school, but uh, just have not reached the negative 20 yet. So so. close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So anyway, um, you know, I just want to start off a little bit with your background. I read a story a while back about uh, the beginning of your coaching career, and you oversaw both the boys and girls program at a small high school in Wyoming, if I'm correct. Um, actually it was in Elbert, Colorado. Okay. Sorry about that. That's all right. Elbert, Colorado is between Colorado Springs and Denver. If anyone's familiar with that area and my dad and my grandmother, um, and grandfather, they had a ranch. That's where my dad grew up was Elbert, Colorado. So this was a school that he went to and it's a, it's not a one room schoolhouse, but it's a one building school. So everyone goes to school in that one building. So the kindergartners through high school all go to the Elbert school. And so when I got the job there, it wasn't a, this is the basketball coach. This is the football coach. This is, this is the coach. (laughs) And there was one other coach in the school. Um, She coached the varsity volleyball team and I did junior high volleyball. I did junior high boys and girls basketball and varsity boys and girls basketball and junior high track and high school track. And the funny thing about that was we didn't have a track. We had to, uh, if we wanted to practice on a track, we had to get on a bus and go to a town 10 miles down the road, Kiowa, which was also tiny, but it was metropolis compared to Elbert. So it was just an interesting situation. We, um, I practiced the junior high kids practiced during PE. So it was towards the end of the day, uh, every 30 minutes I had another grade come in. So I started the day with four five-year-olds from the kindergarten and I just opened the PE closet and let them go in and pick toys out and reel around and throw balls to them and stuff. It was, that was, and then first graders and then second graders. And then as the day went on, the junior high came in and we had to practice boys and girls together because there was, I can't remember how many numbers there were, but there wasn't 10 of either. And then the pra- uh, high school boys and girls practiced together. Cause I think there was six on one team and seven on the other team. <laughs> and then we, for games, we would go for games. So we'd have a game, we would go junior high girls, junior high boys, varsity girls, varsity boys. So I coached four games in a row. And the only team that had a prayer of winning was the junior high girls. Oh, yeah. So if they lost, it was going to be a long, <laughs> long day. And a lot of them were a lot, a lot of long nights. On the other hand, you must have had some fun doing that. I mean, if uh, knowing that you're a basketball junkie and stuff like that, that, you know, like it's got to be fun, right? Well, in some ways. It, was, it was a long time ago. I, it was just, I did. It was always fun working with kids and it was fun meeting people that knew my dad when he was a kid and knew my I had uh, this, you know, some old guy, uh, big old guy 
came to me and said, you know, your uh, dad hung me out of a bus window when we were in elementary school <laughs> by the leg. I said, oh, sorry about that. And the secretary there was, uh, he went to school with, and he said, call her Margaret. And she went by Maggie or something. I said, hey, Margaret. And she said, oh, your dad and threw a stapler at me across the room. So oh, it was very interesting being at a place that my dad and grandmother, my grandmother taught school there and he went to school there. So that was, that was the, the most interesting part is just kind of being connected to my family's roots there because we had never lived there. They, we had moved on before okay. he, got, uh, he got married. Oh, that's pretty cool. So what are some ways that you think maybe that experience shaped you as a coach, as the coach that you are today? You know what? I, I don't know. I didn't, uh, we lost a lot of games. It didn't kill my love for coaching. So that was good. But it was like I said, we took a lot of beatings. I remember one game, we ended up losing a hundred to 20. And I remember the um, other coach at halftime of the boys game, throwing up alley-oops to see if his kid could, his kids could dunk. And that was their halftime warm-up. And I remember sitting on the bench, just seething because um, I just was, I was embarrassed and humiliated that this guy would come out and that's what his halftime warmup was. They would have screw around and have and practice trying to dunk. And I, I don't, I said, it's, I'm not sure what I got out of that, except I did learn to take a beating and, and not, um, lose control. I remember one of the teachers, uh, just at the school said I was putting in a zone offense and he was saying, well, you have a two guard front offense, right? Or one guard front. He said, you, you know, you got to, you know, you got to have an odd number front against an even number zone. And so I was like, oh yeah, I knew that. That's no, no problem. So some guy was a social studies teacher and then didn't teach it and didn't coach at all. He, he gave me, gave me something that I've used forever. Hey, you got to have an odd front for an even zone or you got vice versa. I've always remembered that. So now you're at a little bigger school than uh, back then. And uh, on the other hand, uh, between the four, your 4A experience and 5A experience, you have uh, seven state titles with three different programs, which is just amazing and a testament to what you do as a coach. What does this year's, where does this year's rank for you on that list? If you, do you rank them or do you think you know about what? that? I think about it sometimes while well, that, that was the fun, it was, that was a fun one. That was a, they're, they're all a little bit different. There's some years that, well, the, the first one at Caldwell, we had losing season, losing season, losing season. We, I had one winning season at Caldwell, and that was the year we won the state championship. And when I first got the job there, there was a group of kids that were in sixth grade. And I heard that there was a girl that was nearly six foot tall in the sixth grade. And, and so then I just put a lot of work in with th that group's parents and those girls and AAU and junior high and then coming up and then half of them made varsity as uh, freshmen and then the other half joined them. And so when they were all seniors, we had uh, nine seniors and nobody else, this one, this group of kids and my assistant coach had actually played at Caldwell. She was a better player at Caldwell. So she practiced every day. That was her job as assistant coach was being the 10th kid. And so that one, because of all the losing seasons before and it was just it was such um it was such a rush to go through with that group of kids and get it done and uh that one was special and then the next year the, all those kids graduated i think we were three and 22 the jvs were zero and 20 and the freshmen weren't as good as the jvs so it was uh it's like i think i'm gonna look you know, for another job, this was, it's just been through this. 
need to maybe find another school. So I got the job at Middleton and it was almost kind of in a really close situation. There was a really good group of kids in the younger grades, but in the high school, there was good kids there too. So we had some success, had to figure out how to beat Fruitland when I first got there. But uh, I was there for uh, several years before that group of kids came through. And by the, when they were seniors, we came close. We finally made state when they were juniors and won games, uh, won a state game. The first three years we were two and out. And so when that group came through and we won state when they were seniors, that was pretty special too. And then um, this last one at Timberline, it was kind of a, it's almost more of a relief than anything else because there's pressure when you've done something before, there's pressure to do it again. And so after each one, it was like, well, you're going to win state again. You're going to, you're going to win state again. And, and it's just get to the point where uh, you just don't want to have that expe expectation put on you and then not be able to follow through. So us winning this this year um, was just at uh, aftermath is, wow, you know, did it. I didn't I didn't disappoint people that expected this, that thought we could do it because that I came. Yeah. I mean, is that hard as a coach that, it, it, I mean, does it kind of weigh on you having that many titles in a weird way that there's just kind of these expectations? Yeah. That... You would think, well, he's, I know I've, I, I try to tell myself, Hey, I've won this. There's I've, everything else is gravy. You know, I've won one, one, two, one, three, whatever. And you just get to the point where, um, ah, you know, this is just, this is for the kids. I've won mine. I want it for these kids. But at the same time, it's just becomes an expectation of yourself. And I've, I've been in two uh, runner up situations and it's just, um, it's just soul crushing to be there and not finish it. And so now you get to that close and you're saying, boy, I just don't want that feeling again. And you, uh, you want it for the kids because you know how you've seen kids through the years after they've won and how close they are and how this, this experience bonds them. And it's such a gigantic thing. And I don't want, you know, the next group of kids, hey, I, man, I really want this experience for those kids. And when it doesn't happen, then you know that they're not, they're not going to be welded together like teams that want it. And so, like I said, it, is, it becomes more and more pressure, it seems like. And I really wish I could just say, yeah, I've won the state championship and everything, you know, I've experienced this. Now just go coach and have fun and compete and whatever happens, happens. And it's just, you know, two sides of my brain are fighting. That side is... The rational side and the irrational side is, man, you, if you don't do it, everyone's going to think that you were lucky before. I don't, it's, it's, it is a lot of pressure. So this last one was mostly just relief, and I'm very happy for the kids. All right. That, and and just experience. Great. And, and just a follow-up question, and you don't need to answer this or, you know, whatever. But, you know, do you look at Emery's uh, record there as something, you know, that as a coach, like something that you kind of kind of aim for? Or, I or did. Not? I did a few years ago. Um there was a couple of years at Middleton where we should have won it and we didn't. And I, as I look at those years and I'm like, wow, if I was, if I was going to catch Emory, I needed to get that one. Um, two years ago when we lost to Mountain View with uh, a really good team, Mountain View had a really good team and we're ahead going into the third quarter. I think we're ahead by, well, I know we were ahead by eight and Mountain View hits a three at the buzzer at the third quarter to cut it to five. And I'm sure you realize this also, but in basketball, especially girls basketball, it seems like if you give up a buzzer three, it's like a pick six at a football game. 
it may not be the the last play of the game, but man, those sometimes those are hard to overcome. And they cut it to five, and it just seems momentum swung, and we let that one get away. And so I've looked at, I always look at the ones that he's, you know, how what couple plays that could have happened this way or that way, and we could have won that. And I think that those are probably going to keep me from catching Emory. You know, nine is a, is an incredible number. Um, we we will be in the hunt next year, and so you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. So uh, I wanted to talk about the start of the season uh, and how did you approach the start of the season? Was it kind of a state title or bus mentality or did you approach it in another way with this group? You know, it wasn't, I didn't really have a choice how to approach it. The kids were, had that mentality. Parents had that mentality. So that was, that, that was what it was going to be. If it, we didn't end this way, we would have all had to rationalize it in the aftermath of the journey we had a great experience, man. We had a great run. We had a great season. Um, I'm not sure at what how many games they won in 2003, but we may have won more games this year than in any other team in the history of Timberline. So a lot of things we could have looked at to frame it, to rationalize our mind that had been okay. But from the from the beginning of the season, from last summer to the end of last season, it really has been. Hey, if this is going to be what we want it to be, it's got to be. And we have to bring home the blue trophy. All right. So you ended up with uh, two losses on the season. You were talking about that uh, record. I actually was, I don't know if I was the bad luck, but I was at one of those games. <laughs> it was a Coeur uh, game in December. And then you had that other loss against uh, Boise in the district title game. Uh, how did you approach um, that, those losses afterwards? Was it different than how you kind of approached losses uh, previously? You know, it was just when we lost to Coeur d'Alene, it was uh, disappointing. I thought we had a shot at an undefeated season. It may have, you know, not getting to the state tournament with an undefeated record. You know, who knows? That may or may not help. I was talking with Crystal Daly, the great coach at Sugar and at the state breakfast, and she said, I'd blow a game before I came here undefeated. Then <laughs> <laughs> I'd give one up, and I was, like, talking to her assistant on the side. She's lying. There's no way she's blowing a game, <laughs> not coming undefeated. But it is – there is, you know, that's just one more pebble on the pile of, of uh, pressure. But uh, when we lost that game, we were missing our, our starting three. She was sick. And so she would have – we would have put her on – on Skyler mm-hmm. and she would have been able to slow her down. And I'm thinking, you know, she probably would have made enough difference for us to win that game. Um, so it was, it was a non-conference game. Um, I think it did kind of reset us a little bit. That one did cause it was early enough and, and kids, you know, they didn't like that feeling. And so we went back to work the loss at the district championship against Boise. First of all, it's Boise. Second of all, it's the district championship. And it's not like another, you know, any other game where everyone's happy and you shake hands and they're all smiles. This is where you have to watch the other team jump up and down in the middle of the gym forever. And the students come down and jump up and down the middle and there's a trophy and all that stuff. It's just totally, it's a different thing than losing a regular season game. So um, I didn't have to really come in with an approach at all. The kids came in with the approach that hey, that's uh, that's not that's not cool. We don't want to go through that again. So I didn't really have to say, see what happens when we don't do this and don't do this it was just and we got out rebounded 
in that game. Avery Howell out-rebounded us. And I don't know if I've ever been in a game where one kid <laughs> got more rebounds than my team did. And But I did had been preaching rebounding, rebounding all season. We've got a rebound. And then I could bring in the stat sheet and say, hey, guess what? We had 22 rebounds. Avery Howell had 23. I wonder how we why we lost that game. It's, it's crazy, right? And so that was the one thing we brought out of that that I could say, look, this can't this can't happen again. So, uh, and for listeners that don't know, basically there was Boise high and then it split into Timberline. Like they basically yeah, split it in half. So basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it drew from other places, but, um, when I got the job at Timberline, I, when I was in Middleton as Bishop Kelly was always hey Bishop Kelly week, you know, it was just big rivalry. And so when I got to Timberline, so I was looking for a rivalry and I said, well, Boise high is a natural rivalry. And I look at the record the last 10 years and Timberline had been 19 and two against Boise high in the last 10 years. So I told our parents when we first met, I said, that's a rivalry like Notre Dame and Navy. It's not really, you know, it's, yeah, it's a big game, but this, <laughs> it's not really a rivalry until we start winning some games. And so I really started making Boise high the focal point of, of our kids. Hey, we got to have a couple games to really get up for uh, any of my kids show up at school wearing red. That's not, <laughs> that's not allowed. They just yeah. quit doing it because I gave them so much business teachers show up wearing red. I said, Hey, that's a lot of red you're wearing. So it's basically trying to make this where it was just, you know, Timberline getting pummeled by Boise high every time we played them into uh, what it is. And I think it's, it's a healthy rivalry. You know, it's, it's good, good to have someone to look at the schedule and say, Oh, there's Boise high week there. So I had another question based on kind of what you were saying about uh, the kids and them kind of getting motivated and stuff like that. I mean, what would you say about the leadership of the kids? Was that something that just, it, does it come naturally to some of the kids on your team or was it something that you work on uh, to kind of give them uh, those, uh, those leadership aspects? You know, that's something that I think has to kind of be organic. I don't think you can create that. <laughs> I think you have leaders on the team that you can guide a little bit. Hey, this is not, you know, I'll tell them you're a leader on this team. You can't, you can't behave that way or this way. You have to, you know, so you can, you have to have leaders. And then my job is to kind of guide them in the direction that I think they should be, but you just can't say, Oh, I'm going to take this kid. She's a senior. We're going to make her the leader of the team. It's got to be, um, got to be organic that way. We had a couple seniors that were four year varsity kids, uh, Audrey and, and Sophie, and so they were captains as juniors. We had some bumps with their leadership as juniors, as far as you know, maybe maybe overstepping things that they should say or do. And so they learned along the way. And the kids, we didn't really we graduated two kids the previous season. So all those all these kids kind of grew together. And Sophie and Audrey became better leaders. And I think the rest of the kids became better uh, teammates. And so we all just kind of grew together in those roles. And uh, this year it was really smooth. We didn't have uh, any friction uh, that wasn't gone in 30 minutes. So it was it was, it was a nice season. And th those they did a great job with leadership. And we have some kids that I know are ready to step into those roles next year. They just kind of you just kind of see kids develop, and and we'll be ready to to step step ahead that way. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that championship game. Cause that was, you know, probably if we look back at it, I mean, that was one of the, one of the better championship games um, that we've had. So one of the things that I noticed in kind of doing some research is a quote from Lauren McCall. She was the one that had the steal and mm -hmm. hit that three. 
And she said, I love my coach. He game planned the shit out of the game, uh, out of that game. So I got two questions. Uh, so how do you approach game planning? Is it different for a state title game versus maybe uh, a game like against Coeur d'Alene in the regular season? But how do you approach that? You know, I don't, <clears throat> during the season, I don't do a lot of game planning as far as, hey, this opponent, we got to do this and this. I focus during the season on things that we need to do for us. Hey, I want to be good at this. I want to be able to run this offense. I want to be able to run this zone. I, and I don't do a lot of, we don't watch any film during the season. I have done that in the past. A lot of times, I don't know if you have this problem, but a lot of times when you have girls watching film, they just kind of giggle and laugh and someone falls down and yeah. I'm looking at my look at my face or why is her hair like that? You know, it's just different <laughs> things. And you almost, I have to be, I have to be kind of a jerk during film where they think they're in trouble. So we'll focus on what we're looking at. Um, during the season, I'm way more focused on what we are doing and what we need to do to get better versus, well, how do we stop this team? When we get into districts, we looked at film of our previous matchup against who we're going to play. So we watched film on Boise before the district championship. We watched film on Bora before we played him in the opening round. And then when you get to Friday, there's no time for film. Mm -hmm. And so I had, when the brackets came out and I saw Boise on the other side, um, we had played them three times. I put in a different offense in case they came out on the other side. So we had kind of planned for different scenarios about, okay, if Boise comes out, we'll run this. If they don't, then I ah, will run it. You know, so what? It was fine. Kids got to learn something else. Um, I'm not sure how well we ran it, but it, you know, in a in a game like that, we got a couple baskets out of it. And in a game like that, when there was very few baskets anyway, I think that was important. Uh, we talked about changing defenses and what defenses they were going to run and what our matchups were. And so we did focus in the 24 hours that we had between the semis, which was a great game, and the finals on what we needed to do to be successful Saturday night. All right. And then the second question that comes out of that is that I know that you demand a lot out of your, your girls having watched you uh, coach before. How do you do that, keep, uh, you know, demand that and still uh, keep that level of respect where they're saying, I love my coach and you know they're showing admiration for you and stuff like that and not being that that jerk you know yeah it's a it it starts it's really helpful when you you've been in a place for a while and they come to your camps and i coach every spring i get a eighth grade team sometimes include seventh grade but i get a seventh and eighth grade team together in the spring and we go to travel terms we practice a couple of times a week and we get to know each other and so I watch them grow up. And so they know that I love them by the time they get to the high school. Hey, this is, these are my girls. This is my kids. This is my team. We're all, we're all in this together. And as we're forming that relationship, you know, I just let them know that I care about them as, as people. And they're not just pieces of equipment that I use to win games. They're just, mm -hmm. they're people. We want them to be successful. We love them. And uh, so, um, Sophie Glancy is a great uh, example. Jane McNeil hits, I don't know how many threes in the fourth quarter opening uh, Thursday night. And she comes over and I'm just, I just ripped her. I said, what are we going to, what are you doing? So basically, and then, but she, Sophie knows that I love her dearly 
And what I'm saying to her is not, it's her actions, not her as a, as a person. I'm not getting after her and telling her she's a bad person. I'm getting after her decisions to not have her hand up when the kid who just hit three threes is going to take another <laughs> one. And so, you know, and then if I do get, if I get after somebody, then, you know, I'll always go, Hey, are we good? And, you know, I'm just trying to get the best out of you. And, and some kids I will tell, Hey, I'm going to coach you as hard as I'm going to coach anybody. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to demand things out of you that I'm not necessarily going to demand other kids because you have this ability. And so kids kind of take that as an honor. Hey, he's telling me that he thinks that, you know, I'm good enough to go division one. I'm going to go play at the next level. And he thinks that I can be play at this level. And so it's kind of an agreement we entered into before we ever start. But I think if you can, you can get after kids, as long as you're not attacking them as a person, you're attacking their actions and you're demanding um, that they, they play better or they improve or they fix whatever they're not doing right. And as long as they know that you care about them, that it's, it works out. So uh, I want to go back to kind of the beginning of your answer here. And this is something that I've noticed. How important do you think it is to get those kids as seventh and eighth graders and start getting them into that system, like in that spring, springtime well, basketball? I think that's kind of been when I, when I got to Caldwell, I tried to do it. I didn't have much success. I, I had a couple kids groups that came through when I got to Middleton, it was more, um, um, year every year and year out I had a kid group of kids every single spring and not only do you get to know those kids and they they play they start learn how do you want to coach but they play a lot of basketball I think that eighth grade year is such a gigantic year for kids to develop they so they played school ball and then they play for me in the spring and then they move up and they play for our in our wherever other coaches or possibly me in the summer so they get like six months of basketball and over half of it's with me overseeing the program. You know, so I've had different junior high coaches where they didn't really need me around or want me around. They want to do their own thing or some just want to know, hey, what do you want us to run? Um, but I think that developmental year is just a, it's a gigantic thing. And so they all know me. They, know, they all know what the expectations are. They all know, hey, this is how we practice. This is, there are some certain things that we don't debate about whether we're going to do this or not. And so those kids know by the time they get into high school, Hey, this is what we, we don't do this. And we, yes, we do do that. And I think it's, I think it's huge. All right. Uh, so thanks for that little aside there. I appreciate it. Let's get back to that uh, game there. So sure. I was, you know, I watched it and I was taking notes and I made the mistake of doing it on a post-it note because I was trying to write down like everything that happened kind of in that last minute. And there was so much stuff that happened. Um, so as a coach, I was just wondering, have you gone back and kind of analyzed what happened and identified, oh, maybe we should have done this or this worked out well, or is it just a sequence that you enjoy knowing that your team, it worked out for your team? Well, it's easy when it's, it's easy when it worked out versus yeah. when it didn't work out, when you can, you know, keep you up at nights wondering why I should have done this. And when Lauren got you know i'm i know we're down four right lauren so we get the two free throws they down to lauren gets a steal and because it was such a jolt for me to have her just grab the ball and step back and shoot a three i lose complete track 
of what the score is when that ball goes in. I'm looking at the score. I looked up before the scoreboard changed and I'm like, are we ahead or are we tied? <laughs> and that, you know, that split second, um, I'm I'm stunned because I just had, I, I, when she stole the ball, I'm looking, she's right in front of me basically. And I'm looking, she's got a lane to drive and I'm trying to see, okay, if she drives and someone comes, is there someone for her to pass the ball to? And as that is rushing through my thought process, the ball's in the air and it went in. And like I said, I'm trying to figure out if we're ahead or it's tied, but I would have, if I knew that was going to happen, I would have called a timeout to get a set defensively because as you see Boise grabbed the ball, went in, ball goes down and they get a pretty good look. And um, Sophie got just enough, a piece of that shot to keep it from going in because uh, Ashley Banks did not just blow the layup. Sophie yeah. got a piece, Sophie got a piece of that. And so uh, obviously it worked out. Hey, of course I didn't want to call a timeout when I knew we would get a stop down there, but I, I definitely would have got a, a timeout. And if, they would have scored, then I would have, I would have killed myself forever. Why the heck did I call a timeout and let them set their offense? Why, why, why just not let it play out? So, uh, you know, either way, I, I mean, it could have worked out. It could have not worked out. I just know myself that I would have called a timeout if I'd have been more in tune with knowing in that, you know, that's such shock. If I knew we were going to be, I knew we were ahead, I would have called timeout and set the defense. And like I said, that could have been one of the worst mistakes I've ever made. So as it happened, fantastic well it seems like too that you know just uh the, you know lauren made that that great play of the steal which is kind of you know i guess apropos since uh boise uh was able to get a steal and and force uh, that district championship game mm -hmm. but there was also one uh, a play that i noticed that uh the ball got passed out and it was at uh almost a half court violation it looked like i didn't see a uh, boise yeah, before that happened so yeah. we throw a pass in the key we throw like a four foot pass in the key, and our second post she's not ready for it goes right through her hands and lauren chases it down and i'm it's just like slow motion. Oh, I can't believe that's going to cost us the game. And Lauren chases it down and throws it over her head and Piper follows her and uh, gets it. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, Lauren made three incredible plays, starting with chasing that ball down and preventing a backcourt violation. Yeah, it was just, if you haven't watched that minute, go to NFHS Network and just go to the end and, and watch that. It's pretty pretty incredible. Cause you know, before that Boise was making some plays that, you know, got them uh, what the four point lead or whatever. Yeah. They made the, made free throws and they ran an out of bounds play that they have run 400 times <laughs> and they, they run it every time because they're really good at it. And they, they're, I think Kim's mindset is, Hey, you may know what we're going to do, but we're going to set a perfect screen. We're going to set up the screen. We're going to cut off the screen. We're going to roll off the screen and you can figure out how you're going to stop it. And normally, you know, we, cause like I said, we see it over and over and over again. We do a pretty decent job, but we did not actually came, came open, sunk it. Boom. So then they made all the free throws every time there was a jump ball. I thought, you know, I'm going, hey, that's a jump ball. Nope, foul on us. Boise shooting free throws. And uh, it was just like, ah, it was just, we were, things went from, hey, I think we're going to get this if we can make some free throws to, oh my God, I can't believe we lost. Yeah, then, well, oh, sorry about that. Sorry. Right. And then 
you know, the last 21 seconds happened. Well, I was going to say probably a game worthy of that rival rivalry that's been happening with you, yeah. with you guys. So, um, so here, you know, uh, I got a couple more questions. I really appreciate your time. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this is that this is a year first year with the ranking system. And I know that it was kind of, you know, people have some opinions on it, but what were you, what, what are your thoughts on it now that, uh, we've gone through this one year? What did you like? What did you think maybe could be improved if there's anything? I think it's better than the old system of just, Hey, draw names out of a hat and you're going to play this team and that team. I've been at Middleton one year, we were co-number ones with Rigby. Rigby was, Rigby was undefeated and we had lost to two 5A schools early and we met in the first round. Um, last year, uh, we went through the regular season uh, undefeated. Mountain View ends up winning the district. We play Mountain View in the first round. And it just, I think there's a lot of first round games that should have been Saturday night games or at least Friday night games. So I think this way is better than the old way. How I don't know what algorithm Max Preps uses, but um, when schools don't play each other or don't have any common opponents, I think that makes it difficult. This year, we did have common opponents. Uh, Coeur d'Alene came to our tournament, uh, played us and Bora and Thunder Ridge. Uh, we had three Meridian schools go up north and play three north schools. So we did have some common opponents. So this should have worked better than it did. This is when I lost faith in Max Preps is when we were uh, three and Coeur d'Alene was two <laughs> and Lake City was one. And Coeur d'Alene beats Lake City twice and drops to three. I don't know what mathematical algorithm you could possibly say, yep, this is right, when Coeur d'Alene was number two, beats number one twice, and then drops the spot to number three. I just, I, there's no saying that, there's no defending that. So I don't know what, what that is and how that happened, but that's obviously a problem that needs to be addressed. So one of the things I kind of noticed or kind of looked at is that uh, potentially it seems like um, this max rep uh, max prep system could could uh, be beneficial to maybe like smaller leagues versus bigger leagues that have teams that uh, are near the bottom. If you have quite a few of them, um, that can bring uh, bring you down. So mm -hmm. my question for you is uh, like. Um, are you going to change your scheduling next year? And I kind of heard a rumor that maybe the 5A SIC might look at something a little bit different um, in, when it comes to uh, scheduling. Uh, things are going to change here because we've, we're gaining a team. So yeah, we're losing Skyview and then we're getting Middleton and Nampa. So we're going from 12 to 13. And so when you have an uneven number of teams, it makes pods dif difficult because there's no, nothing you can do with to make your pods even if one has six and one has seven. And plus that's your whole schedule basically is a conference schedule. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna to go to 12 conference games where you will play everybody once, which means 13 teams are looking for nine non-conference games. That's a ton of games. And so we've, the four A's only wanna play us a little bit, um, which, you know, it seems like they wanna, they should maybe wanna play us more to help their <laughs> yeah. max rankings. Yeah. But if you get, if you get beat, I don't know how that affects. Is it who you play, or is how is it a score differential? I don't under. I don't know how they're determining this. So, we, um, if I had known we were going to lose the court lane, I would have had us play Thunder Ridge this year at our tournament. But I, you know, I thought I thought thinking, hey, we're. I think we can get court lane, and um, I don't want to 
overload us on our tournament. Well, if we see Thunder Ridge, it'll be at the state tournament. And so I didn't do that. So we may, it may change a little bit how we do things. So like I said, but I would like to know the formula. <laughs> so I don't want to beat somebody and then drop a spot. So I guess we'll just have to wait. We're going to take who we can play. We're going to try to play more 5A schools from the north and from the east. Uh, it's just, it's going to, you know, travel and all that and other schools, they already have a schedule. So we'll see. We're looking, we're looking at it right now. All right. So I got uh, one last question for you. And the other thing that the IHSAA appears to be doing is on the uh, being on the path to adding a shot clock. This has happened to my team in the past. Uh, in fact, when we talked about it, at our team meetings, uh, the coaches, the other two coaches in my league were happy about this because um, we are in positions a lot of times in the fourth quarter, uh, we've got a lead. And so we run some, run some offense. And I know that that became kind of a, a little bit of a storyline in your opening round game against, uh, uh, Bora in regards to that shot clock. So what are your thoughts on, on that shot clock? Well, I will adjust to whatever we have. Okay. We do not have a shot clock. And so when we are ahead in a game, and it gets to about when there's four minutes left in a game and we're ahead. I like to tell my kids, Hey, we can't, I tell them, Hey, in a timeout, we may call timeout. It's a good place to use one. And I'll tell the players, Hey, they can't win at this point. We can lose, but they can't win. They can't, they can't overcome this lead without our help. And so we will play at the end of those games. If we have a lead, we're going to make sure that we take very high percentage shots. If we're going to take something that's quick, it better be a layup. And, um, you know, we're just going to, if it's better for us to possess the ball, then give it up. And with a three point uh, shot now that has been for years, but you could get two and give up three and you're, you know, Hey, we got it. We went offense. We actually perfectly, we got a shot, we scored. And now we're, our lead is one less than it was, before and I'm certainly not going to be setting up plays to shoot three pointers when we're up by five points with you know three minutes left in the game. It's just something I don't believe in. So um, we did at the the Bora game. We were not, and this year we have we have run clock in several games, especially when we had lost momentum. But what we're trying to do basically is to isolate Sophie, and so when we play teams, hey, there's they're fronting Sophie and they got one or sometimes two kids behind her. And when the ball goes in there, there's three kids with her. And so I will allow teams to play us that way for so long until we're ahead with, you know, there's two, three minutes left in the game. Now I'm not going to let you play like that anymore. You're going to have to come out and get the basketball. And so what we'll do, and we did several times this year is we'll pass the ball around until they have to start coming and defending one pass away. And then as soon as we have Sophie one-on-one -on -one in the lane, the ball goes in and then Sophie goes and scores. So, and if she, you know, that's, that's kind of the game plan. And we were looking for that Thursday night. And as I'm, you know, it's right in front of me, I'm looking when the ball's there, I see Sophie working hard and they've got kid with her. And then we've got one kid and sometimes two in the lane. So, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to throw the ball into Sophie so she gets triple teamed? It just it doesn't make any sense. And so when there's a shot clock, and if there's a shot clock, then we'll adjust accordingly. But right now, 
uh, one of my parents said, hey, there's eight states in the nation that have a shot clock. It's not like Idaho's way behind the times and, oh, we need to catch up. It's just, it's not, that's not the way it is at all. So we'll see. I don't like the idea of a 30 second shot clock. I think that's too quick. Uh, when I played a college in college way back, um, we had a 45 second shot clock and that, that enabled you to be smart with the lead, but not stand out at half court and hold the ball for been beginning in the second quarter. So I, that's what I would go, but you no, know, no one asked me. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quick question though, on that. Do you think that it, you know, if Idaho adopts it, that it will change that much, uh, basketball, you know, I know some people see it as kind of the, you know, the thing that'll make, I don't know, basketball great again. Or oh, whatever, it's going to, yeah, it's going to cure like basketball yeah. is really bad right now. You know, <laughs> yeah. Our game is pretty great. And if you watch games throughout the year, and I know you do, how many times does a team have the ball for 30 seconds and don't shoot the basketball? I mean, it's just, it doesn't happen there much. I think this year, our team, we played really good defense. And so teams had the ball for uh, more than 30 seconds because they couldn't get a shot. And I think the shot clock will reward teams for playing great defense throughout the game. And so I think that's a positive thing, but um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see if right now, if uh, you have to play 32 minutes and it's not it's just, well, they pulled the ball out and stalled. Well, it's two minutes left. You were down by 10 points. You know what? Uh, they shouldn't have to just give you the ball and let you fire threes and <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, coach, I really appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and, um, you know, just congratulations on the on on the season and, uh, you know, good luck this summer. And, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. I hope to see you uh, back in Boise next December. Yeah. Hey, we had a great time at the uh, at the tournament. Uh, my girls had a lot of fun. And uh, so, yeah, we definitely uh, are, are are have that on our, our calendar as far as coming back. That's good. You just got to take the bus ride from another country and get your visas <laughs> at the border and come on down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks again, coach. And, uh, and, uh, congratulations to you and your girls. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Idaho basketball coaching podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.